The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back here for part two of the discussion of the Ravens' offense against the Steelers. Obviously, a difficult discussion made a lot more fun by the presence of James Ogden, one of the truly great football minds covering the Baltimore Ravens. James, how are you doing? I'm good, Ken. Thank you very much for your for those kind words. I really appreciate having you on. You, you like Michael Crawford, a graduate of Scouting Academy, and someone whose, whose opinion I really respect. Uh, if you would tell folks about that process at all. Yeah, just a great, um, if, you know, even if people just want to learn a bit more about football, it's just a great way to, um, to, to learn more about football. They, they, they run a, it's a, it's a really great product. It's, um, you know, I've, I've been evaluating players for years and years and years, but really sort of self-taught and, and Mm -hmm. trying to learn as much as I can from different minds and different people that I respect, like Matt Waldman and, and, and Dane Brookler and others, but really never really being taught and and so to do the scouting academy which was recommended to me by michael crawford um he's a good friend of mine too um was just great you know they they take you position by position they they teach you the kind of fundamentals of what a scout should be looking for but also ground you in scheme and make you understand context as much as you can uh, and i would just really recommend it actually for anybody it, it is the kind of the 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 thing that you that you should do if you want to be a scout in the NFL, mm-hmm. um, but it's also just great for people who enjoy watching football and evaluating and, and learning more. Uh, you've got to it's pretty intensive, um, so you've got to have the time and and have the wherewithal to do it. But they 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 do a great job, and and yeah, I would definitely I would definitely recommend people people do that. What what would it cost somebody to go through that process entirely? 
No, no. That is a good question. I okay. will find out and tell you at the end of the show. <laughs> okay, sure. That, that's fine. I, I I just will say it's think of it a lot like if you if you convince yourself you want to take a, a course in programming at a local community college and it might cost you several hundred dollars to do it. Um, it's it's that kind of a level of commitment in terms of and and he'll he'll tell us of course what the what the price is and there's a lot of people who drop out of those classes. Uh, it doesn't have to have this kind of flunk out rate, but there are people who just want to buy the materials and kind of look at it and, and learn some on their own without doing the assignments. Am I correct? Yeah. So it's um, you can you can do some of that. I think um, they they do a they do a really good job of of putting a lot of um, a lot of stuff online. So you can find a lot on their YouTube channel actually, which is the Scouting Academy. There's some great stuff that um, they've done, including um, like for instance, a really great. Um, uh, sort of hour, well over an hour long film session with Mike Waffle, who was um, the, uh, who was, um, uh, oh, I'm absolutely blank. Aaron yeah, Donald. Yeah. I completely yeah. blanked on Aaron Donald's name then. On um, who Mike Waffle, who was Aaron Donald's um, defensive line coach when he entered the league, um, and sort of going really in depth about what he's looking for. There's a great video with Howard Mudd, um, who. Um, who's obviously passed away now, but Howard Mudd talking about what he looks for in offensive line play. So they do have some stuff that you can go and engage with. If you want to do the full thing, it's a it's a thousand dollars, so it's not cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, but you really do get really great value for money. Dan Hatman, who runs it, who's the um, yeah, who, who runs that who runs that program. Dan is Dan is a great guy, and he uh, was a scout and and wanted to sort of really give some give scouts a real grounding in a real educational grounding when they first come into the profession and so he started the scouting academy and he's really great you get a lot of his time you'll write reports he will give you lots of feedback on those reports on what you're looking at so you do get a lot of value for money out of that out of that, out of that price but it obviously it's not cheap and and you do have to spend a lot of time on it so i would definitely try and find a way that you can you know free up some of your free time for a semester but they run a number of semesters through the year so you can be a bit flexible about that too all right. And do they, does it, does it graduate into more advanced versions of the same thing that they're selling you or do, is it really only a one level sale? So they do do some other stuff now. So they have branched out and started to do some other things. So if you want to get into, uh, into recruiting in college, you can, they, they hmm. do some, do some work on that. Um, so they, they do have some other courses, but the, the main course really is the evaluation course, which will probably take you two semesters to complete is the other thing. If you want to do every position and um, because they really do, it really is in depth and you really take a lot of time over it. So, um, but yeah, study at your own pace though, right? Study at your own pace. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So two, two semesters as they think of it, it is a full year two semesters will probably get you through all of the eight position groups uh, you may need three um if you go at a, at a much slower pace okay. but yeah two two would probably get you through it if you if you if you have the time to dedicate to it okay and and a semester means different things to different people but but in strict english interpretation of the word that it's half a year yeah, it's 12 weeks actually okay so it's 12 weeks they do is one semester very good. Okay. So one off season, potentially you could do it if you really wanted to beat yourself up. Yeah, exactly. You could, you could go for it. I don't, I think they've had one guy do it in one semester, do all eight position groups in one semester. Um, so I'm not sure you can definitely get through all eight in one semester, but it's, um, it's certainly worth a try if you've got the time, but it's, um, yeah, you can, you can, you, 
yeah, I think I did it. Uh, I, I went through all the, the the draft process, got ready for draft, did the draft, and then I went into the scouting academy in the in the three months when nothing nothing normally happens with football um, in the off season. I'll, I'll have to try and get Dan on the show to explain the process here because it's something I really respect, and and in particular you and Michael who've been through it. But uh, but it's he, uh, it's great. He would do a much better job than me, and I think the 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 process that he he goes through is great. And 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 to be honest, that's the the biggest thing that I think it's given me is an ability to really, you know, it's given me a, a um, fidelity to a process when I'm when I'm evaluating players. I, I I go through certain I go through certain things. I'm looking for certain things. I know I'm able to, you know, offensive line is a great great thing to 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 illustrate it with because. You, if you're looking, if you're scouting someone as a run blocker, we talked about this with Linderbaum in the first episode. Mm-hmm. You, you really need to be looking at the different types of block that he's doing. You need to be looking at the different phases of the block in terms of positioning, fitting, finishing across gap and zone, and looking at the different types of blocks within the gap and zone schemes because they're going to be asked to do it all at the, at the, at the next level. Uh, and so it's 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 really trying to make sure you're getting to a process where you're looking systematically at a player and understanding you sort of ticking a box in your brain if you've seen that I've seen that I know how he does that I've seen that I know how he does in that block it's that kind of thing and 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 Dan would do a much better job of explaining it than me and he's spoken about it quite eloquent, eloquently at times on on YouTube videos and things so uh, definitely but Dan's a good but would be a great person to get on I think all right well very cool how about we talk a little bit of offensive line. That would be great. All right. Uh, start off with Ronnie Stanley, if that's okay. Yeah, let's let's do it. Um, I thought thought he was a, a solid game as a as a pass blocker. What what did you think? I I I got the same out of him in terms of of mistakes. There weren't that many mistakes as in pass blocking. They didn't allow a lot of pressures in this game. Some of it was not not by uh, offensive line assignments either. But uh, he did have one. So he did a half pressure or a full pressure. He had one full pressure that was assigned him. That's by the way, it's very good for a tackle if you can get through a game with one pressure. Um, he also had one other pressure that Huntley ran him out of. So I adjusted his his uh, adjustment for that. Um, he did allow half penetration, which was half of of a, of a loss on a run play. Uh, seven missed blocks. That's a little bit uncharacteristically high for Stanley. And we got to remember this game. The Ravens only had forty nine scored snaps. They had a spike and they had 40, 50 total plays. So there weren't a lot of total snaps for uh, to, to be scored in this. Um, three blocks in level two. He was one for three on pulls, which is a recurring theme in this game, that the Ravens did not do a particularly good job on their pulls. Uh, I have heard rumors that there are some things, keys that other teams are reading on pre-snap that are a lot, making it difficult for players to pull and succeed in getting to their target before players are in the backfield. I sense that some of that might have happened in this game. In particular, Ben Powers had some trouble uh, making his pulls in this game, and I think it may have been a case of of they were able the, the, the Steelers players were able to pick up scheme elements from the Ravens, and it may have been the way people were standing, the way they were lined up, the way people are setting uh, could have been a lot of things that allow them to get in the backfield early. Yeah, and the and the other I I can I, that 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 makes sense to me from what you're saying. I think the other thing that possibly from this game is that the depending on the defensive front, the rules when when the Ravens run with two pullers, the mm-hmm. rules on who wraps and who kicks out change based on the on the defensive front, and, and so 
to see a weird really weird front in this sense or at least a different front to what they are used to seeing possibly confused a little bit with some of that and and, and created some hesitancy with some of their pulls I, I i feel powers locates pretty well at the second level but there were a couple of times um as you said he just didn't locate sorry i know we're talking about stanley but i'm talking <laughs> powers okay. in the sense not really locating as well at the second level as normal um and so uh i, th- I think that was definitely something with in this game there was there was something going on on with the pulls in this game uh, it's it's not even always in in level two that you make your block it's often i mean it, we, yeah. we can we can define it differently maybe you are from from scouting academy definitions and whatnot but but the the to me it's it's a level zero or a level one block that he's making if it's in the backfield or right at the line of scrimmage and it really only becomes a level two block once he gets about a yard into level two that that he's that he's really making i I definitely don't score it as a level two block until he's there um but but anyway i I, you know it's a he i look at that as the starting point on when he's really in space but in in another case pulling is an in-space job period you have to try and meet somebody at a point by by you know figuring out how to best intercept them and, uh, and yeah, it was something the Ravens had a lot of trouble in this game. And, and I think there were two things that to me that stuck out. One is the longer line of scrimmage probably hurt them in terms of it's, it's more length to travel in a sense. If, if Watt, for example, is on the outside and some other linebacker behind him is trying to fill outside Watt, you know, you got a, you got a harder time maybe to do that. Even Watt himself is, is going to have the luxury to set further outside, whether that's in, in what we would might normally think of as a nine tech, just because there's four other linemen uh, on there. And, you know, it's one of the things that I, I know, you know, this from, from, from all the, all the background you have, but techs are usually split by four when there's four at the line of scrimmage, but the rules change when there's five or six, but they still get wider in terms of the line of scrimmage when you have six guys on the line. Yeah. And there were times when the Steelers were really funky with some of their alignments. They were lining the four interior guys up in two bunches really tight together. And that really messed with the Ravens at times. There was times when uh, double teams were were sort of accidentally screening other defenders. Um, and it was it was a very strange alignment that they, that they were using. And then the other thing, I mean, just going back to Stanley quickly, I'll let you come back on that. But so going back to Stanley quickly, the, that was really impressive, I felt, felt in terms of this game was he was playing a pretty, pretty high level um, opponent in Highsmith. Highsmith has had a really good season uh, and Highsmith didn't really get a look in as a pass rusher in this game. Yeah. I I thought that was related to that. I thought that was the best thing about Stanley's performance. Obviously the missed blocks were, were, were something else in the run game. I didn't think he really showed great power or necessarily really the ability to seal on that left side, the way we have occasionally seen him do part of which might have been positional. And that he didn't really he didn't really have a lot of opportunities to down block move to level two because Highsmith had to be accounted for, uh, or because just their their basic four was too wide at the line of scrimmage for him to easily do it, uh, and, and also because of numbers exclusively, obviously at the at the line making that difficult. But uh, yeah, and, and and they forced him to take on Hayward at times was the thing as well. And he's he, you know that that isn't Stanley's game. He's never he's never going to be a, a you know a a guy who drives Cam Hayward off the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. is just not going to, that's not him. Um, there were times when he was pretty effective, when he was reasonably effective blocking Hayward as well, but it was probably more on, on reach blocks than it was on, um, than it was on just a straight mano in mano type thing. That, that's, that's a fantastic point about Stanley. And, and it's, it's not completely appreciated because they want every offensive lineman to be a power player, but Stanley very much like Linderbaum, a finesse player, 
a guy who is extraordinary at mirroring. But in order to do that, he has to give ground to mirror. Now, a lot of tackles do that, but Stanley is probably the, the one of the furthest extremes in the entire league of a guy who 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 does that. And part of that is just it, it assimilates very well with the, with Jackson styles. Jackson's really good at taking bump pressure. Really good in terms of just sensing that pressure coming from the backside, able to get away from it uh, and and not be distracted by it. And and he's they have a wonderful relationship. I, I hope it's something that Jackson really thinks about if he if he's thinking about leaving the Ravens is the possibility of losing Stanley and and what he's meant to his career so far. What was uh, your final grade on, on B, Ronnie? B minus for, for Stanley. A, that's after adjustment. He just got there, and I had to take away some points for the pressure that he didn't give up because Huntley ran him out of it. But uh, but otherwise, good adjustment for Heisman. That's great. And um, we talked about him a little bit, but but Ben Powers, did you? Uh, I I felt he continued. He you know it was just a sort of continuation of his of his of his really of his good season. Yeah, I, I've been I've been very happy with with Powers. One full pressure allowed. It was on that second play from scrimmage. If you want to go back and you just want to see, it, it's fairly obvious. It's a proximity pressure. He gives that gives it up to Hayward on a bull rush. Um, you made the great point earlier about Powers being a good re-anchorer. Okay, and I, this is interesting because I go back to the one of the first pod that well, actually the first pod I ever did on Ben Powers was with Michael Crawford. A couple other offensive line guys. I'm fighting, forgetting exactly who was who was on the show at, at that point. I'm, I apologize for that, folks. But uh, but we talked about Ben Powers and and Michael was not as sanguine about Powers' ability to be a run blocker. Uh, sorry, a pass blocker, um, a, as I was at that time. I thought his pass blocking anchor was pretty good. I didn't really notice it for the re-anchoring that it was. Um, but he's definitely not like a center who has a like a slow death routine where that's more of a normal thing you see. Centers tend to be more undersized relative to the guys they face. And slow death is often a, a, a um, uh, it's not a technique is not the, a, 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 not the right word, but you know what the, the word I'm searching for here to approach they have to, to try to pass block. Yeah. And I, th- I think powers, the thing that's been great for me with powers is I just feel like he's, he's, we are watching him work out how he wins in the NFL. And I I think one of the ways in which he wins against high quality of a defensive line play, because he was, he was often across from Hayward in this game um, is by giving a little ground because one, there are two things he's really good at. One, I think he's, he's refitting his hands so he can, he can fight with his hands to get, get latched again after a after losing initially. And he's also really good with his feet when, when he anchors, sorry when he resets in an anchor position he won't anchor him he won't anchor immediately but he can reset his feet and, and re-anchor and I, I do kind of like that about him he's sort of understanding how he wins and and like you say his approach that he needs to take to be successful in the league um so that i, I felt was really good and i, I th- the thing with powers i think in this game I, th- I think this would be the game if i was his agent I think this would be the game, the tape that I would that I would mm-hmm. send out for his contracts because to to see how well he did against Hayward, and there were also times when he there was one particular reach block against Hayward, and it looked like a pancake, but I think Hayward got tripped, but he reached him um, in a way that I I I didn't think Ben Powers could do, frankly. <laughs> um, I I didn't think he had that in his locker. I thought that was one of the the ways in which. Powers would be limiting the Ravens, the Ravens running game. 
But, you know, to, to see him be able to do that, because like I said before, he's normally a pretty good puller. Um, and so he's been good as a, as a gap, um, as a gap guy. He's a great down blocker. But to be able to see him reach block as well in that way against one of the best in the league, um, uh, one of the best three techniques in the league, I was, re- I was really impressed with. I thought this was a really good game for him. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think there's that's a that's an area where Ben has been kind of downgraded this year. He's also had some difficulty pulling at times, to, to be honest. I, I'm noticing his his pull scores are just have not been uniformly great. Um, I, I did want to highlight one thing you said earlier about how he manages to control his opponent and and, and do that. Ben was on the show, of course, and he, what he talked about was very interesting. He said, "My right hand is for power, and my left hand is for control." So I want to. I, I have a specific spot I'm looking for to punch that player to put my right hand, so I can so I can use my full strength on that. But then his left hand, and I'm not doing justice to the exact words he used. He he liked to start on the shoulder of the opponent as opposed to directly on the body somewhere and work his way down. So he's grabbing the jersey at the V of the neck. And that was his best control position was to have the V of the neck with his left arm and, and be able to use his, his right arm for power. It makes a lot of sense when you, when you do it, when you hear it. And that's really interesting on what I've seen, because actually possibly what I'm seeing as him refitting his hands is actually his plan. Um, because he, it looks like he's refitting because he's bringing that left arm down, but actually that's his plan all along. And you can definitely see that right arm that that's a, that's really interesting because that you can definitely see his right hand and he places that, he places that hand really well initially. Um, so he's, like I said, I just I think what's been lovely to see across the course of the season is is him learning how how best to approach pass protection for him, uh, and it, it's 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 been working really well. I, I you know it it was not what I expected out of the left guard position this this season, and he's going to make some money somewhere. I think. Yeah, he sure is. He sure is. I mean, there was a, I imagine that that the the Ravens were or the, the Ravens fans were really significantly thinking that, that that he was going to be cut because the Ravens didn't want to pay him 2.54 million this year. Boy, would that have been a mistake. <laughs> so a uh, little more on powers from this game. Uh, uh, the full pressure he allowed was the only negative event, five missed blocks. Here's the big thing. And I divide missed blocks into two general categories. One are losses at the line of scrimmage where he gets beat by his opponent straight up. Only one of those. And he's playing Cam Hayward for a lot of snaps in this game. Um, on that one, he got away with a hold, actually. So it was actually a worse play, and I actually downgraded his adjustment because of that because it, it really it, it could have been worse. He went three out of seven on pulls. Uh, that was where he had his other four missed blocks. So you see, it's bad to miss a pull, but some of that can be beyond the player's control if they if they just can't get to the spot where the player has already beat them, the, the opponent has already beat them to the spot, or if there's nobody there for them to block. And since he's always the leader, he needs to actually make a block for me to give him a scoring point on that. Uh, it's just the way, the way my system works. So he, he had four misses there, zero level two blocks in this game. That's not a function necessarily of Ben Powers. That's more a function of the Steelers' six-man front not allowing for a lot of second-level opportunities in this game. Three pancakes and one highlight. I probably gave him a pancake on the play you thought Hayward got tripped because that's the way I recall it as well. Yeah, I think um, I, 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 that was, that was, a, that's a scouting academy thing where I, Dan, uh, drilled into me to make sure the first thing you ask Michael Crawford, he does the same thing. Mm-hmm. The first thing you look for, I look for on a pancake is, did someone's like get in the way and did he, did he trip yeah. over it? And I think that did just did maybe happen on one of those pancakes, but nevertheless, the block itself was very, was very impressive. Yeah. The block that he made on that play. So- um, and yeah. 
I, I do want to I do want to go to it specifically because I've got it here. He pancaked both ninety three and ninety four on the same on the same play. Uh, that may be the one. Um, it uh, be that one. But but it was it was on the first drive. I, it was only a two yard run on the eighth play of the game. You, I, you, oh, you see if there's one because it yeah. wasn't Hayward. I, I didn't have it. That oh, maybe favorite. it was a different one. Maybe it was a different one. Then I think it, what happened was I think Linda Baum was blocking someone back into his path. Uh, and the guy, either Linda Baum or the defender, I can't remember, leg came across the Hayward, okay. and Hayward came over it. So it might have been that. I do think I remember the one where he put two people on the ground, yeah. and that was quite impressive. Um, I, I definitely, there were definitely, I think I agree, there definitely were a couple of pulls um, that were missing in this game. He, he, he uh, that were where he was, that where he needed, we needed him to make a block. Uh, he he located well on Spillane a couple of times, but there were definitely a couple of times when he when he missed. Yeah, I, um, I I did want to ask you one other thing about Scouting Academy. Do the I do not credit a pancake when two players are involved. If if it's a, if it's a two if it's a double team, is that a pancake by Scouting Academy or not? I don't think so. I, what what the, what we would look at there would be their their role in the in the double team and mm-hmm. and you know talking about that that specific technique that they were showing as as their role, whether the drive man or the post man in the double team. And and so I I would probably not be looking. Yeah, I wouldn't be looking at that as a as a pancake. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, some of these things I think it's it is natural from the come together. There's other things, particularly when you get down to the math of offensive line blocking, that I've never come to an agreement with PFF about. I just I can't I can't do it. I I they they uh they're, they're we have very different views on the game from that perspective. Uh B for powers for for the game. I, it it could have been better um but it was pretty damn good what he did. It was a part of what he had trouble with was this being a shorter game with still a few missed blocks and and the one pressure. Moving on to to Tyler Linderbaum. Um we talked about him the last time I was on a few, uh, quite a number of weeks ago now, uh, and I think I was I was looking more to sort of the potential of Linda Baum, um, and you were talking about his performance at the at the, that time, mm-hmm. which I, I think we agreed was not was not uh, sort of at the level that we would want it to be. Setting the table a bit for this Linderbaum discussion because this was a very specific game about Linderbaum. Have you found that he's been better in recent weeks, um, and that this was potentially a a return to something we saw a number of weeks ago? Well, I, first of all, this is his worst game of the year, so it's not. A, I wouldn't. I wouldn't state this as a return to anything. But the last two weeks, a minus and an A, so he's been right at the top in terms of of uh, of grading. I mean, I. He, you see some things emerging that are very positive. He'd only given up a half a pressure for, for events in the last two weeks. A handful of things came together in this game that were not as good. He got away with some things um, in turn, and then he didn't get away with a hold later in the game, had a false start. Those plays, those plays are significant. They, they cost teams and they, they, they can cost drives. And, and obviously from a mathematical perspective, they're, they're, fairly harsh and fairly significant losses. And they're fairly significant in terms of how defenses need to get off the field. There aren't a lot of ways for defenses to get off the field, but penalties is a big one. Uh, He had eight missed blocks in this game. And this is what really hurt all of those. Every single one was a loss at the line of scrimmage and they weren't to great players. So I, you know, I have, I'm going to go through them really quickly just, and I apologize if I'm taking an extra minute or two time here, but, but it was, uh, shed slash PC'd by 57, beaten right by 57. This is Montrevious Adams, not a great player here, obviously. Um, whiff on Spillane, 
By now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of Liquid Death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down Liquid Death, our play improved while the other team drank other stuff and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take Liquid Death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around to your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take Liquid Death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Beaten outside by 99. That's Ogan Joby. Shed by 57. Back to Adams. Um, Whiff on Ogan Joby. Beaten right by Ogan Joby and whiff on Ogan Joby. So it, it, it wasn't Cam Hayward, folks. If they didn't all of a sudden line up Cam Hayward and he was just beating him straight up, which I, I, I wouldn't like, but I could have accepted it more. Um, getting beat eight times in one game, and especially when there's only 49 total snaps, I, I just it's it's very bad. Um, he did, in addition to those, have a pressure and another third of a pressure that he allowed. Uh, so he's party to two of those. Uh, the two penalties I'll say in a positive sense were the first two he's had since he, he got the hat trick against Buffalo in week four, uh, three penalties in the same game. So, uh, a, a variety of, of obviously very poor events for Linderbaum this game. Yeah. So for me, uh, so let's firstly, I did, I didn't love the holding call, but I know he's got away with some stuff recently. Mm-hmm. So I didn't love that, that holding call, but I think, um, I think for me, the, the big thing which we talked about, which we touched on in the first episode, was that this the, this Steelers front forced Linda. I, I think in lots of ways, the Steelers front the Steelers front was was made for lots of reasons, and we talked about lots of them in the in the first half. But I also think one of the reasons they did this was to force Tyler Linderbaum into these situations. Yes, uh, and they knew that there was a chance that to get him into these. They knew they would have to force the Ravens to go with multiple pullers, which would force the which would force the Ravens to use Tyler Linderbaum as a down blocker. And this is where we get into my scouting academy um, sort of learnings, which is you always try and assess the player on the type of block that they're making. And Tyler Linderbaum is not a particularly effective down blocker. It's not actually even a, a strength thing with him. It's actually a fitting thing. He doesn't fit the block very well. It's odd because he positions it well because his feet are really good. He gets into position well. His feet are great on all types of blocks but he just does not fit um down blocks particularly well and he just so so that the he's already undersized so he already gives up a little bit of a strength advantage but he loses even more functional strength because he isn't fitting the block particularly well and i i would wager a number of those missed blocks were on down blocks um which i just which just jumped out on the tape okay Okay, so just just to be clear what we're talking about here um now what you mean by a down block in this sense because down block can mean different things can be a tackle hitting hitting the three tech and whatnot but a a down block what you mean is on the vacated 
counter side. So you, you have the, the guard tackle in every case this game with the two pullers. Okay. If the garden tackle vacate, then the center is left with an extreme flat angle block yep. to go back against the grain of the plate. That's what you mean by a down blocker. That's what now, I mean. One of the things that's going to do against Linderbaum is that defensive tackle or defensive end, or or might be Highsmith in this case, but but probably defense, it probably would have been Hayward on some, in some cases in this game, is going to have an extended arm that he's going to be able then to get onto Linderbaum's body on the one arm is longer than two thing. And Linderbaum has length problems normally, which can get him off trouble. Down blocks are very naturally a a case where he's going to accentuate that length issue. Yeah, there was a, there was a great, and for me, it's, it accentuates the length issue, but there's also, there is definitely a technique issue. There was, um, I hope they, they, they see the same thing I saw on one play where, uh, there was you could almost do it sort of frame by frame where Linderbaum is down blocking next to Zeitler, who is also down blocking. And you can see the difference in technique. You can just see Zeitler's technique as a down blocker. You can see his his um his arm, the 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 positions of his arms, the way he's fitting that block. And you can just see where Linderbaum is slightly off what what Zeitler is doing and you can you can see the difference in play strength that is that is derived from Zeitler having just that subtle better technique um when when he's fitting that block um it, it's just not something that Linda Baum was was asked to do very often at Iowa at all like at all you just really struggle to see him down blocking because they just did not run much gap and power at all at Iowa and you, you, it's something that, you know, he's not, he, he has been asked to do it with the Ravens, but he just has not got to a point yet where it's, it's something that it's a weapon in his game. And the Steelers forced him to do it through yes. that, through that, that, um, the, the, the way that they played time and time again. And it really did expose him as a, as a run blocker. He just, he couldn't do some of the things that they've weaponized him a bit more in recent weeks um, as a, as a run blocker. And he just couldn't do those things in this game that the Steelers did not allow him. Yeah, it, it, your your point is exactly on the money. As I look through my score sheet here, there's five times I haven't graded for a zero on one of these polls, or actually one of them is a single poll by Zeitler, but the the bulk of them are counters where he's going to have a you know a, a very flat block along the line of scrimmage to make. But if you look at the at quarter three, they started to really pile up. The second and sixth plays of that first drive, he got a zero, having a block into the vacated side of of counters. If you look at the the first play of the next drive, same thing happened. If you look at the first play of the next drive, it's Zeitler only pulling, and there's an RM minus two. He's not really responsible directly for that happening, but he got a zero on that play. And if you look at the second play of the next drive, and this is, of course, when the Ravens are losing the game, uh, he whiffed on on uh, Ogunjobi trying to come up with a flat block up there. You could see that that specific one. Or Ogunjobi is is coming from a little further outside, maybe as a three. You can see how that would give Linderbaum a lot of trouble trying to to make that block, whether whether it's technique or length, either one. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the the other thing around around um, the the length issue was um, it, it, you know this wasn't a particularly bad game for him in terms of pass protection, and I do th- I do believe in him as a pass protector, but one of the there was one play with Montrevious Adams where you show where it showed 
Linda Baum's lack of margin for error. And it's the thing that he has to overcome to be a successful NFL center is that the margin for error that he loses with his length. Montrevis Adams gets, who, as you mentioned before, is not a particularly great player, gets his hands in really well, early, well-placed, um, manages to to jack Linda Baum up and he can't recover. Right. Um, and, and that's going to be the issue for him going forward. If he is able to consistently recover, which I do think he is going to be able to do, um, and he's able to limit the amount of times that he has to recover through playing with with leverage better and through winning the initial battle with his with his hand usage. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna be an effective player. But you saw in this game um, a really clear example of the margin of the the low margin for error that he has against a a, a, a middling less than middling NFL yeah. player. Yeah, we have been give, basically giving him a lot of hall passes for facing Dexter Lawrence and, you know, Vita Vea and, and, and some of the other big guys, Quinnen Williams, some of the other big guys in the league. But um, the, the, the Steelers found a way to get a very average nose tackle man on man with him. And, and it's really man on man that is now the apparent weakness that I'm afraid other teams are going to try and duplicate and not, yeah. uh, you know, the. the yeah, so, sorry, Ken. I was going to say this. This will be a like this will they they teams will now throw down that gauntlet. He's going to have to respond to that. This is going to be a, a a new thing with him now, and we're going to have to see if he can if he can respond to that. I think I think you're right. What was yeah. what, uh, what was your grade? Well, I, I I just want to respond one more time to oh, say sorry. I'm also I am also very optimistic about Tyler's future, <laughs> yeah. and I think that that we just need to be you know realistic about who the guy is right now. And I think he's he I agree with you. I think he can do the things that are necessary. He seems to have a very good work ethic for that. He came into this league a very polished offensive lineman. Very. I mean, you don't get guys out of the college rank who do what he do, who can use their feet, who can move around, who who already know what their limitations are and because they had to face them in college. A lot of guys don't because they're, you know, they're athletic freaks and playing against lesser athletes at that level. But but Linderbaum did. And and you know, I think he'll have the um the work ethic to keep this going. We saw it from Kelly Gregg. He's the he's the ultimate Ravens comp. It's not even an offensive lineman, but a guy who who got by with very short arms, wrestling background, who I think can uh, uh, Linderbaum can can do some of the things that he did and and adapt himself to the larger players and the longer players of the National Football League. Uh, F for Linderbaum, he's 15 points short of a D minus. So one thing was about if he had gotten the hold, it would have been really close if there was no hold, whether he would have, he would have, scraped in at the bottom or not, but it wasn't really close. It was his worst game of the year. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. PFF also scores it the same way in terms of, of being his worst of the year. Uh, and, and a lot of it honestly was the, was the penalties, not just the missed blocks. Moving on to Kevin Zeitler. Yeah. Um, a third of a pressure for his only negative play. He did have four missed blocks. Uh, only one of those was a loss of the line of scrimmage. So Zeitler has been the ra- the rock for the Ravens this year in terms of being uh, along with powers, honestly, Powers, is, as I score it for the whole season, has very slightly outplayed Zeitler. So I know Zeitler is a guy who missed the Pro Bowl, and I would have loved to see him go, and he's one of the best pass blockers in the league, but Powers is even a little bit better. And Zeitler is has been a solid run blocker for most of the year. He's occasionally had a few problems. It's close, but this is an A for Zeitler uh, in this game, kind of the bottom end of the range, but he was the one of the few Ravens who really stood out in this one, made nine of his 12 pulls, um, uh, all of the 19 pulls from the inside in this game were from guards. So you didn't, you didn't have, I'm sorry, 
um, let me let me get that let me get that that number correct here because I don't think yeah nineteen they had nineteen pulls from guard and zero pulls from center which is which is unusual um, for the Ravens to not have that opportunity but again it was a function of how the Steelers lined up and not how the Ravens would have liked to run it yeah that was the thing I was mentioning earlier about the rules on this offense definitely change. The who when there's two pullers, it changes who wraps and who kicks out based on on the front, and and this front dictated that that would be the case all the time. I think um, the thing with the thing for me was I, I think we we talked about last time I was on. I, I made a a silly comment because I I thought Zeitler was was on closer to ten million a year this year, uh, and mentioned that I thought he wasn't necessarily quite giving them the value for money. Uh, you put me right on that, um, that he definitely is not earning that amount. But I also, you know, I, I don't like being wrong on players. So, uh, or not necessarily being wrong, but being unnecessarily da down on players. So I went back and watched uh, a bunch of Kevin Zeitler tape uh, and can fundamentally uh, confirm from my perspective, uh, not that that means that too much, but that he's well worth the money that, that the Ravens are paying him and probably more. Um, and I felt this was a really good game. It was just a bit of a showcase, really, of some of the things that he does really well um, in this game. And and it was, you know, it wasn't a great, necessarily a great level of competition he was facing. So you'd expect him to dominate um, because Hayward is consistently on the other side, TJ Watt. And TJ Watt is always on the on the left-hand side of the defensive line. So Zyla wasn't facing uh, Cam Hayward, he was facing sort of Ogunjobi a lot of the time, and and he just did a he just did a really good job um, in this game. I, I was I was really impressed. Let me let me trust uh, test your general manager skills for a second here, and and ask you the question: If if neither of them was under contract for next year, and Zeitler's in the last year of his deal, unfortunately, he may be at a point where he wants to get a little more security, and may want an extension to 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 play the year. I don't know if that's really true or not. Kevin Zeitler may be thinking about playing for five more years for all I know. But but if you had only the money to sign one and you could sign Powers, who's clearly the younger player, or you can sign Zeitler, older, has been more consistent over the course of his whole career, has had more time, obviously, as a good player, um, who would you sign? You have a four-year yeah. deal. You can, you, you can give it, or a three-year deal. You can give it either one. I think if it's a three-year deal, I would – it depends on the price point, I think, because same price point for either. Same price point. So let's say you're gonna let's say, let's even set the price point at twenty five million for three years, either player. Oh, I, I think at that point I would probably take Powers, um, because just because of the youth and the concern that there might at some. I mean, there's no been no sign of it, but the concern at some point there might be a drop off for Zeitler. I feel like you you probably need to place your bets on the younger player who has shown it over the course of a full season at this point now, um, and face some 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 tough competition throughout the year. Um, so I I do think I know what I'm getting with Powers now. Um, it's a tough one though because I agree the level of play from Zyler has has been has been so good, and I I just don't see it dropping off in the next three years. So it is a tough one. If you were going to tell me that Zyler was a bit cheaper. I would probably go with Zeitler because I, I imagine Powers will probably get more on the open market with that kind of high, that, the, youth. the youth on his yeah. side. Um, so if you were gonna if you were gonna offer me Zeitler for less, I would probably take Zeitler just because of the other places this team needs to to upgrade in the off season. Um, but yeah, if you're giving me the same price, I would probably take Powers. What about yeah. you? I, I would as well. I think maybe the Ravens are also in a position that they that they could. The Powers might be the better fit. 
And Powers at left guard hasn't been a great puller, and that would be my you know, one of my major things. But they've made a lot of other Ravens players into great pullers over the years. James Hurst had good pulling ability. You know, Bozeman pulled very well from left guard. He's certainly not the athlete that even you know Ben Cleveland is. So, so you know, you, you wonder about that kind of thing. But the other thing I, I wonder about is about the fit at right guard, and I wonder if they really intend for Cleveland to take that role next year, if if Zeitler is gone, and I think. I think right now, based on what I've seen from Ben Cleveland, I'd probably rather have him at right guard than at left guard, even with the the required consistency in a right-handed run game that he's opening the front gate time after time after time, which I trust Zeitler to do. And I don't entirely trust either of the other two. No, and I, I think there is something about the right guard position. They 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 very quickly went out and fixed that issue mm-hmm. um because I, I think the other issue if if lamar does stay as as qb is he when in in the year without either zeitler or yander he struggled when he was stepping into he, you know he struggled stepping into his throws he didn't he was very very hesitant to trust his protection on the right interior side um, and so it, maybe they place a bit of a premium on the right right guard position that would give Zeitler a bit of an edge in those discussions. Yeah, I think I think yeah, that's a great point. First of all, I mean you got got to keep the throwing cone clean. Got to keep the cone clean. The the other thing that is that I I think the Ravens are going to really benefit from having a player like Cleveland on the other side of uh, Linderbaum in most situations is that having a big man over there has really. I think been a been a good thing with with Zeitler. I think it would be a, a potentially even a better thing based on very limited data we've seen with Cleveland in terms of getting more run blocking push. Uh, and I think Powers uh, has played very well uh, with Linderbaum. I think if you can get a big man on either side, I don't. I really don't want a finesse guard at either spot. I want a, I want a three hundred and thirty five pound heavy um, at, at both those spots. Yeah, especially when with Linda Baum in the middle too. Um yeah. that just that that makes sense to me. Um so yeah, possibly. I think I think they're definitely gonna have to see some you you're right about the limited sample size. They're gonna have to see some improvement from from Ben Cleveland. It, it did not bode well that he rotated with Cologne. There's definitely some when uh Zyler was out that game, it, there is definitely something that the coaching staff wants to see more from from Cleveland. And you can see it went on the film probably as well. Um so yeah, I th- I think it it'd be a It'd be a bit of a gamble, but it, it's it's a gamble. This this team is going to have to take a gamble somewhere, personnel wise, mm-hmm. um, to to be able to improve at the positions they need to improve at. Yeah, great, great point. I mean, you, first of all, that's that's what being a GM is is deciding where you're not going to spend money and you're going to take a chance on your draft picks and and yeah. and whatnot. But that's that's a that's a very very valid. A at the bottom end of the range for Zeitler. Which, which, yeah, makes sense to me. Um, Morgan Moses for this. Uh, one. You know, the the thing we didn't see from Moses, and he played played a partial game, and they talked about him having a bicep. I don't think it was an injury, honestly. At the end, I think he was benched. Uh, you know, I, I'm 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 looking at the, he didn't display the mobility we've seen recently. That doesn't have anything to do with his bicep. Uh, he was really much too slow for Watt. By the end of the game, we were we were really seeing that, and McCarry went in. Um, one sack. He got run out of a pressure by Huntley. Eight missed blocks. Four of those were losses of the line of scrimmage. Four were not. Um, he had a holding flag. Obviously, it didn't add up to a good day. Uh, three out of five on pulls, an F even after adjustment. And and like Linderbaum, he's a similar amount shy of a D minus twelve point one two in in his case as opposed to point one five for Linderbaum. So it would have taken that holding penalty would have had to go away magically. And if you look at it on the on the 
on the reverse angle, you see he does have his hand very clearly on the on the inside of the armpit there on the off of the hole. Uh, the thing with Moses for me was that it was um it was a really tough day for him. When the Ravens first played the Steelers uh, a few weeks ago, TJ Watt was not TJ Watt. He was still coming back yeah. from, from that injury. He is much more like TJ Watt. And, and Moses just couldn't, could not deal with the speed. He couldn't deal with the bend as well. It just, it, he was, he was really struggling against that. And I, I agree with you. I think he probably was benched. Um, Makari is a, you know, is a squatter tackle and would, and has dealt, has dealt with what before in the past. There've also been some times when what has given him real trouble, but he's also faced him a bit more. And I, I wonder whether there was something in that with bringing, with bringing Makari in. Um, I think with, with Moses, it was just, it, they were, they were already having to play around him a little bit in this game. It was better that the, in some ways there was a, there was, it was good that the Steelers forced the Ravens to not use as much zone blocking because, that is where Moses has had the real trouble has had most of his trouble this year, actually is he, he cannot make in this, in the first meeting between these two teams, he could not make a backside cutoff block at all. They were, they were giving, giving all kinds of trouble. Um, And I think some of the game plan in this game was by the Ravens initially, obviously all kind of changed when they saw what Steelers were doing, but I think some of the game plan initially was designed to, to not put Moses in that situation. Um, and so they were playing around him a little bit, I felt, in the run game. And it just it just wasn't his best game by any stretch. Yeah, yeah I, I, uh, lots of lots of issues there. Um, the, the thing that really stood out to me is just he's looked so great on pulls. And so, OK, my system, again, I know not everybody cares about exactly how this works. But but when a garden tackle or a center and tackle pull on the same play, the lead guy the lead blocker has to make a hit on a pull. He has to, he has to actually block someone. The trailer, as long as he runs his track properly, gets into level two and doesn't cause a train wreck uh, on, on his way through there, he can get a point, as it's called a courtesy point, where he doesn't even have to make a block. Moses had been remarkable at getting through in a hurry to make blocks on these backside of pulls, on the back end of pulls that have been damaging, you know, powerful blocks in level two just didn't see any of that same kind of movement. And, and it wasn't the, it wasn't the, the, um, the, the bicep anyway that was holding it back that that would have been completely independent of, of uh, what was happening. It was, it, it didn't look like he was injured. He just looked kind of slow for, for the game for me. Yeah, I agree. And you said, you said an F for Moses. A, F for Moses. Yes. And and you, did you grade Makari? Well, he doesn't get a grade because he played only 14 snaps, but he played pretty well. Third of a pressure was his only negative event. Two out of two on poles, one level two block. The game would have been a high C or a low B if he had 20 snaps, or at least he was on pace for that. But uh, but I always I, I I set the cutoff there for whatever reason. And and uh, you know honestly, he's had some he's had some. Uh, this is a good game for McCarry this year. Let's put it that way. Uh, he's yeah, he's had some not that great games, and it's been a. Uh, he hasn't played that much this year, which is probably a good thing. The Ravens want to play their starters. Um, they certainly didn't want to have an injury at tackle and center in this game because they activated Cleveland over Cologne, which I thought was kind of significant. Yeah, it, it was it was interesting given what they'd done the few weeks ago, which we just which I just mentioned. But yeah, I think um, Makari has as he's been asked to do it in the games he's been playing. He's been asked to do a little more consistently for a little longer. Some things that would not want him doing i think 
uh, in this game this was a this was a nice relief appearance from him like a nice nice uh yeah fresh inning of, of relief pitching from him to, to take over from morgan moses who was struggling i didn't know you were a baseball the fan over there yes it's yeah, like, I, I, it's like a, a good bit. three overs from him in the cricket match you know, I, was, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't knowing what i was going to expect <laughs> <Okay>. all right <laughs> uh, uh let's move on and talk a little bit about about the skill position players we'll take a little bit on this and i think this has got to be the end of the show we're not gonna have time for mailbag but uh but i want to respect your time here who would you like to talk about I think we. Uh, I think the main guy really to talk about first is, is Mark Andrews, who who I, I just felt had a, you know, he showcased some of the reasons why the Ravens are very lucky to still have him in this passing game. You know, he 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 is able to um, to beat all kinds, all shapes, sizes, athleticism, athletic profiles of defender in man coverage. Um, he, he's a he's a nightmare to cover, and if you are going to do this type of game plan if you're going to see this type of game plan from a defense um he's going to be crucial going forward um in the playoffs you know if someone does try to do, try to run this they may be asking for trouble when lamar is throwing to throwing to andrews and 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 this was a little glimpse a little window into what he could do in terms of taking over taking over a game with slightly more competent quarterback play we might have seen even more from andrews but also, once he gets established in this way, and it was tough because there weren't necessarily the weapons to take advantage of this. But when he get, once he gets established in this way, his use as a decoy does help slightly the other weapons on this on this offense. I'm not saying it would turn them into a prolific passing offense, but it would help slightly and maybe just enough to get them over the line against someone in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm optimistic about that. And and it's just nice to see Andrews look healthy out there. You know, he's looked hurt for a lot of the season and to see him be back and and you know catching the ball regularly, that hasn't been something he's done all year, uh, you know, at the highest level. But this game he 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 did it very well. Had contested catches, had wide open catches. Uh he was in good position, just very happy with his performance. Uh, we'll talk about, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Charlie Kolar and his two snaps got in there twice, did make a nice block on the Dobbins 15 yard run. Uh, and, uh, he got in for one other snap, but I know a lot of people are going to be comparing this to David Ajabo's first, uh, first game. Yeah, I, 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 I was great to see him in there. Actually, I, I was sort of talking a few weeks ago, saying I'm not sure there's any way we'll see him, we'll see him playing. But it was, uh, it was good to see him in there. Yeah. Uh, what are you expecting against him? And let's assume the Cincinnati game is played for nothing and the Ravens probably know it at the time anyway. But but if if that's the case, uh, what would you expect to get out of Charlie Kolar in terms of playing time this next week? I, I would expect, if it, if it is mean, a little bit meaningless, I would expect a decent amount of snaps. You know, it's a, it's a really good... A really good chance to evaluate Kolar against uh, a defensive structure that I... That is is a tough one, you know. It's a good NFL test for him, um, so I think it'd be a really good thing to to kind of throw him in, and see see him for a little bit longer. I think the the uh, the thing for me this week, uh, maybe this moves me on a little bit to to my next guy, which would be Josh Oliver, um, who has been has been you know a far better blocking tight end this year than I, mm-hmm. than I thought he would be. Uh, I don't think this was one of his better games. Um, I think early on he was a little bit of the reason why some of the some of the and to be fair again this we should talk a little bit about the context because i think what some of what the steelers did made some of his blocks also difficult to stick but there were times when ricard was having to help him um 
seal something and it was it was it was negatively affecting the play so i don't think this was as a gr as great a performance from josh oliver um as a, a run blocking tight end so it'd be really interesting to see Kohler in that role it, just give him a chance uh then then next week in in some of those snaps now you know there's i, I want to get to your next guy but i did want to point out that that boyle sat in this game uh presumably for Kolar, and this was an opportunity to get boyle maybe a catch in his last home game of his career i assume i i it's it's really difficult for me to imagine that Nick Boyle is going to show up for some other NFL team at this point. I think he's you know he he retires a Raven effectively after the last game the Ravens play this year. But this was an opportunity to get him a catch against the Steelers in a home game. Don't know that the opportunity really ever presented it for, it, and it's an important enough game that you can't just do it for that reason. But uh, do you think he's seen his last catch as a Raven? <sighs> I mean, at this point, it must he must have done. I, I, I'm I'm still. It's I'd I'd love to know what's gone on there because it's still a, one of the big mysteries of the season for me. I'm I'm a huge Nick Boyle fan, and maybe it's just that the injury has has finished him as an effective um, blocking tight end. But it just I, you know, he was he was so important to this get to this running game. Uh, you know, in a game like this, when they suddenly see a six-man front, Nick Boyle is is becomes crucial. You know, this 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 type of game, you just you know, a couple of years past, you'd have seen him play eighty percent of the snaps. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's just a real oddity to me, and it just does seem at this point that he has played his last game for the Ravens. I, if I would imagine he's gonna. <laughs> From hearing him talk in the past, I would imagine he's going to believe in himself enough that he's going to want to get out somewhere else potentially to try again. But, but maybe that's not going to that's not going to be possible. Um, right, well, it's a, best it's a of luck one. to him if he does, because yeah. he's certainly yeah. as as much, I know people aren't excited about the Ravens for for signing him to a three year deal for eighteen million and whatnot, but he was a big freaking part of that 2019 yeah. offense. It's one of the most efficient of all time. And he was a big part still in 2020, right up until the point where he got hurt. And now, you know, we've lost him for two and a half seasons. And I, I I'm saying that in part calling this season, a lost season, even though he's been around, um, he's, he's was a very valuable player at a very important time in Ravens history. And I, I I'm, uh, you know, I, I don't have a, I think people should just have a little bit of respect for the player that he was. 2019, Lamar Jackson throwing to Nick Boyle, 133 passer rating. Uh, do you remember the uh, the year the the game where the Patriots tried to take away everything but Nick Boyle, and Nick Boyle beat them? That that, that you know, I, it, there was always the threat there with him as a as a receiver. It was it, you know he might have been that blocking tight end, but to have him on the field, he wasn't just a, a sixth off a slightly undersized six offensive lineman. You know, the guy was, I, I couldn't agree with you more. The guy was crucial to one of the best offenses the NFL's ever seen. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's just a huge shame. I'm a huge Nick Boyle fan. I, I you know, played a bit of tight end and fullback when I was, when I was playing, albeit quite badly. Um, and and you know I, I he's he's one of my he's one of my favorite Ravens. Uh, so I I've been disappointed by by this uh, saga. I'd be really interested to know what what has gone on there. Really, is uh, for next year? Would you see the Ravens trying to re-sign Josh Oliver on some sort of a deal, keeping um, Andrews obviously, and then and then keeping Kolar and going with those three, go to war with those three guys? 
Uh, and likely, probably, yeah. Oh, I think. Um, so you've got four. Okay. Yeah, I think that'll be the that'll be the way. I think they've they've sunk in enough time to Oliver that they would that they would um, sign him up. I think for another year. Yeah, this may be a take it to the market situation, and Ozzy would do that with players at times. But it may be one where uh, if Oliver can find three years, nine million from somebody, I don't think there's a market like that for him. But I could be wrong because blocking tight ends are expensive, more expensive than you would think. And and he he if if he stays with the Ravens, I imagine it's going to be for two years, four million kind of thing. It's going to be a it's going to be a really minimal contract. Values his special teams play. You know, puts him on the Anthony Levine track for being a very long time Raven if his contract is renegotiated kind of two years at a time. All right. Any any other players you want to talk about? I'm I'm good with what we've done, but if you want to talk about more, I'm I'm happy to. No, I'm good. Uh yeah. We we talked a lot of, I wanted to talk about Dobbins, but we talked a lot about him in part one. So that's that's okay. that's cool. All right. I outstanding. James, always a pleasure to talk football with you. I'm sorry we can't do any mailbag, but uh uh, I know it's uh, it's getting very late over on your side of the pond here. Uh, tell folks where they can find your work. Yeah, you can find me uh, at NFL Ogden on Twitter. Um, you can also find me on Russell Street Report, writing the weekly ga- uh, weekly um, battle plans article, which uh, previews the upcoming game. And this uh, off season, you'll be able to find me at RedStarBaltimore.com, which is my own site, um, and Russell Street Report. But uh, I'll be doing a uh, my draft guide, which I did last year, but this year with some collaborators, which uh, should hopefully mean we get uh, a bunch more reports. Um, than I did last year, which um, which I talked a little bit about during this episode. So uh, go back and and listen to that in the first episode. I think I talked about it actually, uh, and go back to listen to that to hear about it a bit more. But yeah, I'll be running that. So um, keep an eye out for that as we get up to the draft. All right, outstanding, James. We'd love to have you on our draft show if you've got time for us uh, on a draft panel. Yeah, that would be great. No, pro- yeah, yeah, that would be great. Okay. Well, let's, we'll talk about that as we get a little closer, but I'm sure we'll have James on a number of times during the off season. One of our favorites, uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, please hit me up. We just had somebody who, who started doing film study shorts. He just did his first episode of the offense or defenses last week. And that's where I scout for you guys. That's, that's where I find you guys is by doing film study shorts with you. And then, and, and that's Tyler gross is going to be on two episodes next year. Very excited about, uh, about having him, but other folks out there, I mean, there's a lot of, of really good thought that goes into our favorite football team here. I want to hear from you. DMS are always open on Twitter. Think of me as a, as a, as a, um, afternoon sports talk show host, if that's what you want me to be. But if you want to do some other analysis, that's great. If you just want to talk about something you're passionate about, that's cool too. Hit me up again. DMs always open on Twitter. James, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks, Ken. Always a pleasure. I'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.